In this passage, Paul is speaking of a fragrance that spreads throughout the people. And when I think about fragrance, I think about two certain fragrances that are my absolute favorites throughout the year. One would be in the springtime as you're riding down the road and maybe your windows are down or it comes to the AC vent and it's the smell of fresh cut grass. I love that smell because it just permeates the car. And what it tells me is that uh, springtime is here. That means things are in bloom. Warmer weather is coming after our harsh six weeks of winter, right? And so we're glad to have spring ushered in. It brings a newness, a freshness. We get the fertilizer out in the yard, begin to see flowers grow. That's one of my favorite fragrances in the year. And one of my favorite times of the year being spring. My second favorite time of the year and favorite fragrance would be the smell of burning leaves in the fall time. There's just something about that permeating throughout the town when somebody's burning leaves and hopefully they have a permit for it. All right. Uh, Don't speak if you don't. Um, But it's this great smell of fall. It's saying, hey, we have uh, fall festivals and we have football in session and we have so much to look forward to with a little bit of cooler weather in the fall. I love those fragrances. We would call those a natural fragrance uh, just from nature. But then you have your factory-produced fragrances of perfume or cologne. And I am really curious on this one. How many of you wear uh, perfume or cologne? Would you just raise your hand high and proud today? All right. I figured it would be about half the building, and that's what it looks like. Okay. And the other half, you just say... No, I'll just go with natural fragrance. Is that what it is? All right. And so if you've ever been in Belk, and I, I do, sometimes I'll walk through Belk. I mean, it's just a hobby. And so I'm walking through there. And in the middle of Belk, there is a perfume spraying station. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. And it, and it permeates the whole building. Okay. And there's these kindest, sweetest ladies on earth that are the perfume sprayers. Would you like a spray? Right. And when you walk up and they ask you, hey, would you like a spray? You may be thinking, man, I'm just trying to get the corn dog seven, you know, get me something to eat. But I guess so. I mean, go ahead and you can spray some on my neck. Go ahead. You know, and once you're sprayed, you better hope that you like that smell, because now you're going to go permeate wherever you're walking. And it's hard to say no to those ladies. I mean, maybe if they were a little bit rude, it would be easier, but they're so sweet. And I just say, go ahead. All right. And still, I, I think back to when I was a kid, um, uh, certain smells uh, take me back. I mean, fifth grade would be uh, Dracar cologne. Anybody ever wear that? Or Stetson. I had a friend in seventh grade who wore Stetson, and he'd say, Stetson, the man of the West. And I always thought it was cool. I was like, Mom, give me some Stetson. Let me put some of that on. And I'd wear Stetson to school, I mean, for seventh grade, and that was about it. Uh, but I went to meet a friend at uh, for uh, coffee time. And, and as we got there, he steps out of his vehicle. And I'm like, man, this guy smells good. And, you know, here's what's weird about this. You ladies can smell a friend's perfume and, and y'all can go back and forth and say, oh, that's a lovely smell. I love your perfume. Tell me what it is. And, and you trade back and forth all your perfumes. And that's all right. But for guys, I mean, there's just kind of this little code. And I just wasn't quite sure how to approach this by saying, man, you smell really good. What are you wearing? And so as he walks up, I'm like, man, that smell you got going on, 
I like it. All right, so uh, tell me, where, where can I, if I were interested, where could I get some of that uh, smell? And so he told me, it was a body spray, and I was like, all right, man, I'm going for it. I would have never thought to get this body spray, but man, he, he smelled it. And I said, that's what you're wearing. And he says, yes, that's what I'm wearing. I said, all right, so I'm going to go get it. And so I put some on, and I walk into the house, because I'm thinking, my wife's going to love this. And so I walk in, and immediately she goes, what's that smell? And I said, well, I'm glad you asked. It's a new fragrance I've got. It's a little body spray that my buddy told me about. And she says, hmm, come here. And as I got closer, I said, well, what, what do you think? And she says, well, it smells, you smell like a blind date. And I said, well, I mean, do you mean I'm exciting, surprising? You know, is that what you mean by blind date? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. She's like, no, no, I don't like the blind date idea. I'm like, okay, all right. So I, I figured I'd give it a few more days, kind of let it grow on her. You know what I'm saying? And it never did. And it still sits on my butt. You know how you have those old things like old mouthwash, okay, that's like that much left that just sits at the bottom uh, under your sink. Okay, that's where my body spray is. And I no longer wear it. I just go with natural scent. And I'm not going to wrap my butt out who told me that, I would not do that, okay? Um, but he is a student pastor in town, and you got to cross roads to get there. So anyway, just so you know, I mean, if you figure that out, you figured it out on your own. I did not tell you, okay? But my wife did not like the smell, but I did. And that's kind of what we see in this passage. Paul is saying there's a sweet fragrance of Christ that is going forth. And those who will be alive in Christ, will love this smell. They'll be drawn to this smell. But then there are going to be others who smell this fragrance, and they're going to hate it. And they're not going to have anything to do with it. And it's because it just confirms that they are dead in their sins. It's a stench to them. And I want you to hold on to this today, because as we're looking in this passage, um, here, here's the challenge for us this fall. Spread the fragrance of Christ. And can I just address something right out the gate here that I know that probably one of the reasons that we are hesitant to spread the fragrance of Christ Jesus is because we're afraid people aren't going to like it. And let me tell you this, there are going to be more people who don't like the fragrance of Christ than who do. And if you were a faithful witness to proclaiming who Jesus Christ is, you can expect more people to reject your message of Jesus Christ than to receive it. And I think if we can just embrace that on the front end, we will be more bold in our witness because we're always afraid that people are gonna reject the fragrance. We're gonna take it personally. But understand, there are gonna be people who are naturally opposed to the fragrance of Jesus Christ. And if we can just understand that, then we can go in boldness and just permeate this culture with Jesus, with the gospel. And we will trust that God, the one who brings salvation, will awaken those who need to be awakened to this sweet fragrance. So the question is, or the question isn't rather, are you called? But where and how are you called to spread this sweet fragrance of the gospel? So we're going to look at three points here taken from this passage, and then we're going to look at some application there towards the end. So follow with me back in verse 14. The first point I want to look at today is wake up. Wake up and spread the fragrance of Christ with great joy. Verse 14, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. 
So why do we say wake up? Because this word thanks means grace that causes great joy. And when you receive grace that causes great joy, you wake up from the deadness of your sins and you are made alive in Christ Jesus. But as Christ's followers, what we can do is we can kind of grow into this little slumber, okay? We can get a little apathetic when it comes to sharing the gospel. And the challenge here, Perimeter Road Baptist Church, is that we wake up. We wake up to the sweet fragrance of Christ Jesus and that we would spread the fragrance of Christ with great joy. So we must ask this question, why was Paul so joyful? I think two reasons here that we see here in this passage. One, God is triumphantly leading the way to salvation through Christ. He is joyful in that. Why? Because he knows that God is sovereign. God's gonna save his children. That is a promise. Get this, the great commission is not failing. Okay? As we go forth and we spread the gospel, we may, fa- we may feel like we are failing, that God is failing. No, he is saving people every day. Every day, somebody is being saved from their sins. And Paul is rejoicing in this, that God is leading the way through his son, Jesus Christ. And then the second thing is that Paul has a role in the triumphal procession. So let's kind of break this down to get a better understanding of it. Number one, God is triumphantly leading the way to salvation through Christ. This triumphal procession, to to put it in its right context, he's probably alluding to the triumphal procession that was in Rome. And it was a victory parade which would honor generals on the return to Rome after a successful foreign campaign. In fact, there are 350 triumphs recorded in the Greco-Roman literature. And it's highly probable that Paul was referring to this type of victory celebration as he is writing to Christ followers in Corinth, since there's such a strong Roman influence there in Corinth. And so the requirement for a Roman general to receive this triumphal entry was that he would kill over 5,000 enemy soldiers and gaining new territory for the emperor. And once he had done this, then he was eligible for this triumphal entry. Some of these entries were recorded as lasting for three whole days where there would be white scaffolding that would put up around the city and everybody would come wearing their white garments. And pictured in this parade, as you will, would be the spoils of war in rolling stages presenting battle scenes. And the pictures of the cities that were sacked were paraded on chariots through the city of Rome to the Capitoline Hill and the Temple of Jupiter. Everybody's crowding the streets, waiting to see this Roman general. And here he comes riding in on his golden chariot, flanked by his officers, followed by his soldiers. This is a powerful scene that Paul is speaking of, one that they would be very familiar with, as Rome was a great power in the day. But then behind them, you would have the captive enemy soldiers which were paraded down the street. And don't you know they were spat upon, made fun of, abused all along? That way it was no parade for them. It was a death march to the end. And maybe they would be taken into the Colosseum where they would fight wild beasts until they died. And all this for the pleasure of other people. The Roman triumphal. 
not only in this Roman triumphal was there's just celebration, but there's this aroma that you could smell. So there was a certain aroma with these parades. So as you began to smell it, you would know that Rome had triumphed once again. And the Roman priests would uh, be in the parade carrying the burning incense to pay tribute to the victorious army. So that's interesting, right? To put it in its right context, because we would have read that and never gotten it. But it leads us to this question. So who was Paul? If this is the great Roman triumphal, and he's saying, okay, God is leading the way triumphantly through his son, Jesus, and and we're part of this procession, then who is Paul and who are we as Christ's followers? We'll say, well, man, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir, right? And that's one view. One view is that Paul is pictured here as is the church, as the strong soldiers who went into battle and defeated the enemy. And that's, that's how we'd like to see ourselves. That's how we'd like to see ourselves as always being in that position, that we've always loved God, that we've always been fighting for the Lord, that we've always had good standing before God. In fact, if you just ask the common person out among this community, do you think God loves you? Do you think God is pleased with you? Oh, absolutely I do. Will you ever do anything wrong? Yeah, but God still loves me. And you know what? I do better things than I do wrong things. I do more good things than I do bad things. And that may sound cliche to, to many of you who are faithful and coming to the local church, but that is, the, that is the honest answer of many people. And that may be your answer in this room today. But I don't think, and my, this is my opinion. Now, you can disagree with me and we'll still be friends, okay? But I don't think that Paul is saying that he was one of the soldiers. I think what he's saying is, I'm the captured soldier. I, yeah, I'm the one in the back. That's me. And I've been captured by God's grace. And he's not leading me to a death sentence, but no, he has sentenced me to eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Once an enemy, now a child of God. Well, isn't that something in scripture that we see that we're enemies because of our sin? We are enemies, naturally enemies to God. Like we really, really do not, at the depths of who we are, we do not love God by ourselves. We cannot love God. We would never love God in and of ourselves. It is our sinful nature. Man, it's totally depraved. But through God's grace, we wake up, we are awakened, and this grace has poured into us, and yet here comes this love that we can love God back with and we could say, you know what? No longer am I an enemy, but I'm a child. No, no, no. God doesn't say just, hey, just kind of sit outside. No, he says, come sit at the table. You're my child. And my son died for you. And I'm leading you. I'm leading this triumphal entry through Christ. And there you are, once a captured soldier, and now you're my Child, I think this is the right picture that Paul has in mind. And so when we look in Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, there is a triumph in the triumphal entry. Who can be against you if God is for you? How do you know if God is for you? If you have salvation in Christ Jesus, he's for you. He's for you. Romans 8, 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Can everybody in the room just say conquerors? Conquerors. 
Many times we don't feel like conquerors, do we? No, we feel like cowards. We feel cowardly. We beat ourselves up because we just walked past that person that we we felt like we should have shared the gospel with. And there we go beating ourselves up once again. But the word says, not our experience, but the word says we are more than conquerors through us or him who loved us. So why, why is Paul mentioning this to those in Corinth? Why is he writing to them again this message? And here's what he's saying. You know, I'm, you view me, you Christians in Corinth, you view me as weak. Because I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been thrown into prison, I've been mocked, almost died. And yet you look at me and you go, well, if you're a leader, then why are you, why are you treated so harshly? Why don't you stand up for yourself, Paul? And he's coming and he's saying, it's foolishness, isn't it? It's foolishness that I could be in this triumphal entry, being a prisoner, being one who was once against God, and now I am for him because he is for me. He has made me his very own. It's foolishness to the world. It doesn't make sense. And that I would be treated this way because here's what we see, success, success. Oh, if God loves you, you'll be successful. Is that the truth? Is it true that if God loves you, you'll be successful in all that you do? No, it is not true. It's not true. But yet you may believe that, and you may be expecting that, and you may be really struggling because that's not happening in your life right now, but it's not that you're successful. But we'll answer this in a moment. But the second thing is this, that Paul has a role in the triumphal procession. He says, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So God is using Paul as a messenger of the gospel. In Christ's follower, he's using you as a messenger of the gospel. Isn't it crazy to think that who you are apart from God, and yet he made you his very own, and now he's using you to speak the gospel? And for what purpose is to spread the sweet fragrance of Jesus Christ and what a sweet fragrance he is. Oh, what a sweet fragrance. You know this sweet fragrance when you repented to follow Christ. You know, speaking about the mall earlier, and I don't know if it's still there but, or if it's ever been there, but I know recently we walked past one of these stores, Cinnabon. Anybody ever been to a Cinnabon? Can I get an amen on Cinnabon? Yeah? All right, you smell Cinnabon from like two miles away. And as you get closer, like you probably didn't even have it in your mind that you wanted Cinnabon. But by the time you get to the store, you want Cinnabon. You want your cinnamon roll, okay, or some Cinnasticks, all right? And you take your Cinnabon and you enjoy your Cinnabon. And when you walk away, you go, how did we end up, end up at Cinnabon? I mean, and, and this is, I think this is true. I read it on the internet. <laughs> all right, but you, you can't have a Cinnabon. It, it, it has to be a certain distance from like an Abercrombie and Fitch, which smells like a teenage boy who has doused himself in cologne, by the way. Uh, but you can't have them in close proximity. Why? Because Cinnabon's going to overtake that store, Right? Those who wear Abercrombie and Fitch can't have that. Guess what? The enemy says, no, you can't have the sweet fragrance of Christ in this town. And you know what we say? You're right. You're right. Because I, I wouldn't dare offend anybody. I mean, I wouldn't dare let somebody know that if they die, they're going to hell for all of eternity. I wouldn't do that because I want them to be my friend. 
I want to maintain a good working relationship with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want us to be friendly neighbors. I want them to take my trash can out when I'm out of town. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I start speaking of Christ, that may change everything. But as you speak the name of Christ, you trust that God who is sovereign will spread this fragrance across this town and that more people will be saved. They will be taken over with this aroma. And Paul is not the source of the aroma. It comes from his message about the cross of Christ. So don't walk out of here and think you yourself, oh, I am the aroma. Okay, I am God's gift to fragrance right here. No, it's the message. It's foolishness that he would use us. It is foolishness. I mean, that's biblical what I'm saying here. It's foolishness that he would use us. And some get caught up in this. You say, if God is sovereign, he's going to save those who he's going to save. Yes, that's what the Bible says. No man comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. Okay, he's going to save his people. Why use us? Why use us? Because through his grace and through this whole redemptive story, what better illustration to put us on display to say, that one was a wreck right there. And look how I've healed him. Listen to this message of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hmm. We have been gifted with the opportunity and ability to share in Christ Jesus and to make him known to the world. That's a gift. Our sweet smell comes not from our works of self-righteousness, but fully by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So with this in mind, we remain a sweet fragrance as we remain in Christ. See, I don't really smell sweet like Christ right now. The question is, Christian, are you remaining in Christ? John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So as you're abiding in Christ, there's this sweetness, this sweet fragrance that is released from you. It is this testimony of someone who has been born again. So let me go back to this success that we talked about earlier, because I believe that it's this, this, this fear that we're not going to be successful. What, what happens if I just invite somebody? I, I love this this morning. Can I use this? I told my father-in-law I would. Here it is. These Perimeter Road Baptist Church cards right here. Okay. All right. Yeah, I got a fist pump from the father-in-law. Good standing. All right. Here we go. All right. Look, you have, I'm just kidding, brother. All right. So you have this card. And then on the back, it has our, our weekly schedule and on Sundays. Uh, we also meet on Wednesday nights. Okay. I just didn't know if you knew that. All right. And so then uh, there's, and it has our address and then it has our email and, and everything. And, and then at the bottom, it says purify the church, penetrate the gospel culture. Now this this is not the gospel, okay? But this is inviting somebody to come hear the gospel and hoping that when you pass this out that you would have a gospel conversation with them. And so this can happen all over our city, all over our town. And it's so quick to invite somebody to say, hey, I would love for you to come. I don't know if you have a local church, but I would love for you to come to Perimeter Road Baptist Church if you don't have one. And I told the men this morning, you know, I've, I've extended this to so many people in town. Not a single person has ever rejected it yet. Like, it's kind of my goal to get rejected, okay? And so, um, but not a single person. I don't know what they do with them afterwards, okay? And I'm going to tell you, I haven't seen a lot of those faces that I pass them out, but I hope to see some, and it's not going to stop me from continuing. You know why? You don't do this to be successful. You do it in faithfulness. We share the gospel in faithfulness. And the reason why we may 
not be a sweet fragrance is because we haven't been very successful in the past in this gospel sharing. And so we say, what's the point? Nobody's going to listen to me. God hasn't called you to be successful. He's called you to be faithful. Faithful every day. Every day. And Paul was a faithful witness. And he encountered many hard times. Well, I'm sure he felt like giving up, but he continued to persevere. So the first one is to wake up. The second is this, look up. So as you, you wake up to the needs around you, and you wake up to the salvation in Christ Jesus and what has been done for you, look up, look around and see what's there and spread the fragrance of Christ with the lost and the saved. Wait a second. With the lost and the saved? Yes, that's what we see here in 15 and 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So as we said, there are going to be some who love this smell. They'll be attracted to this smell, and there will be others who do not like this smell. That's why we said you should be expecting the, the rejection to come. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So our faithfulness in serving Christ is a pleasing aroma. It's a pleasing aroma to God the Father. And it is a pleasing aroma to those who are being saved. Who are continually being saved all around us. People being saved. It could be today. It could be, it could be today that you invite somebody to the local church or you share the gospel with them, you just tell them about the name of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ walked this earth? Do you, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for sinners? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? Do you believe these things? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father? It's having these gospel conversations. Do you believe he could redeem you and make you new? Although you have this sin, do you believe that he could take care of all of that sin and that you could be the righteousness of God because of the work of Jesus Christ? Somebody could be saved today. This sweet aroma, they smell it and they say, I want Christ. I love this gospel. But understand it is not so pleasing to those who are perishing. There's nothing you can do to change that. I'll repeat this. There's nothing you can do to change that. You cannot make this gospel sweet for other people. If you tamper with the gospel, you corrupt the gospel. And you corrupt the gospel, you have won someone to a corrupted gospel, and there's a great chance you have just given them greater confidence in something that is truly not there, and they will be going to hell. That is a bold statement, and I mean it with all my heart. May we not try to sweeten the gospel, but may we just speak the gospel for what it is. And we trust that God will make it sweet to those who will repent and follow, but for those who will not, there's nothing you can do to make it sweeter. Be a faithful witness, yes. Pray for them, yes. Trust in God, yes. But to make it sweeter, it's not your job. One aspect of the potency of the cross of Christ is its power to attract and convert those who repent and to repulse and harden those who are unrepentant. To the former group, the cross is a ground for boasting. For the latter is an occasion for offense. So there will be those who repent and there will be those who do not repent. There will be those who boast in the cross and those who are offended by the cross. Every day as you go out, 
the sweet fragrance of Christ. But look up. Who's around you? Where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you play? Who's your family? Don't forget your family. Where do you serve in the local church? Please do not take it for granted that everybody in this room who attends faithfully is a follower of Jesus Christ. Have these gospel conversations with each other. But, but know that we're supposed to have these gospel conversations and be a sweet fragrance to each other. We need that encouragement. All of us need that encouragement one to another. We are the family of God. And when we come into this place, there should be a sweet fragrance among us. And that those who are alive in Christ just love it. And you want to be back here again and back here again. And you want to bring other people into it. And I've heard many of you over the last week say there's some great things happening around here. And you know what? I agree with you. I think there is an excitement among us. I think there's a rejuvenation among us. And I hope we run with this, but may it be fueled by the gospel. And the sweet fragrance of Jesus Christ, which leads us to stand up and spread the fragrance of Christ with truth and authority. Stand up. Many times we want to sit down, we want to sit aside, we just want to give it another day. Uh, maybe you've heard this, but somebody said that the devil's favorite phrase is, wait till tomorrow, wait till tomorrow, wait till tomorrow. And many times we do that. Tomorrow, we do that with a lot of things. I'll go to the gym tomorrow, okay? I'll, I'll go to the store tomorrow, take care of this, I'll paint tomorrow, okay? It's today. And may we stand up and spread the fragrance of Christ with truth and authority. Verse 17, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, can I pause right here? Because of those who are Bible scholars in this room, you will understand that Paul is mainly speaking of his apostleship, of being an apostle and the authority that he has to be an apostle because he spent time with Christ. We're not apostles, we are disciples, but I believe this passage still applies to us today. And we're not to be peddlers, meaning swindlers or hucksters. We're not to be scam artists, maybe a better phrase to use today. We are not called to market the gospel. Maybe we could help God by making it fancier. Maybe we could pretty it up a little bit. Maybe not talk so much about death and talk more about life. Maybe just kind of leave that hell out and just talk all about heaven. And we could fool people into accepting salvation as it will make your life better. Your life will be better if you follow Jesus Christ. And maybe that's what you heard when you became a, a follower of Christ or proclaimed to be a follower of Christ is that you were going after it because it was going to advance your life. But it had nothing to do about the glory of God. About glorying in God and enjoying him and being in that right position to do so because of the grace of God. In order for peddlers, or a peddler to survive they had to adjust to the market by making sure they had what the people wanted to buy. So they had to be ever-changing. How can we adapt this message? How can we make it more? And we, we wore this word out in the early 2000s. I don't know what we'll call that period. I guess early 2000s. But the word relevant. Relevant. It's got to be relevant. But they wanted to be relevant. They always wanted to have the next hot item out there. And we can do that with the gospel. How, do, how can the gospel keep up? Will the gospel get left behind? No, God will ensure that the gospel will never get left behind. But they would trick people into buying what they were selling. 
I mean, maybe wine. Maybe they would um, put some more water in it, and it wouldn't be that strong substance that it was supposed to be so that they could save money in the process. And, and the truth is this, that many people have been tricked into a false gospel. A false gospel that has been all about themselves being better in life than it has been about making his name known. Because that is the gospel. Making God known. In his classic mid-19th century work, Words to Winners of Souls, Horatius Bonar writes, It is not opinions that man needs. It is truth. It is not religion It is Christ. It is not literature and science, but the knowledge of the free love of God and the gift of his only begotten son. So what picture do we see in these verses? What do we have before us today? Here's what I believe the clear picture is, is that the sovereignty of God and calling those who are his to himself through the faithful work of his children. That's what we see. A sovereign God who will save. Isn't that good to know that he will save and that he so graciously uses us to spread the message? Romans 10 confirms this, 14 and 15. I mean, how will they know unless somebody goes and preaches? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of Jesus Christ. You would not have known the gospel unless somebody told it to you. I would not have known the gospel unless somebody had been faithful in speaking the gospel to me. That's how people will know. How will your family members know? How will your coworkers know? How will strangers know in this town? They will know it by our faithful witness. May we walk out of this place no longer thinking, and this is to Christ followers, no longer thinking that, hey, somebody else has got it. Man, they're good at this. I'm just going to kind of do my other part. I'm going to serve silently over here. No, we're all called to make disciples. We may view missions as something that you go overseas to do for a time period, and I think we have uh, failed greatly by compartmentalizing it as such. I mean, yes, it is true. It can be a time period. and It is something you can go and do. But really what we are called to do, and I heard this recently, we're called to be on mission. Be on mission. You know what that means? Like today, you're on mission. Today, you're making disciples. Today, you're speaking in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't take a day off. And you say, man, that sounds overwhelming. That, that will wear me out. Receive your strength in Christ, and you will gain joy in making this your every day. You know, the best thing, if that wears you out when hearing that, is to confess it before the Lord. Confess it before the Lord. Lord, it wears me out to think that I would spend every day of my life on this earth making you known. Confess that to him. If that is really in your heart, confess it. You know why? Because there can be healing in that. But if it's there in the heart, God sees it anyway. He knows it's there. So would you confess that? Lord, it is a struggle for me to make you known. It is a struggle to even hand a card to somebody. Confess it and pray for health or pray for help and, and for strength in these things. Because penetrating the culture or more in line with this text, permeating the culture is more than a task or a method. It is a lifestyle. It's our everyday life in living for Christ. It's not just the four spiritual laws. I'm sure that can be good in sharing the gospel with somebody. But it is about 
God's word being poured into you as you study his word faithfully daily and then you go have conversations with people about it. It's when we say, I've decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. It is a consistent lifestyle of God-honoring, Christ-centered, and spirit-filled witness. It's always viewing life through a gospel lens, seeing every situation as an opportunity to exalt Christ. And listen, you don't have to be weird about it, okay? Because I know that's your fear. I've had conversations with you and you say, Brian, that sounds like a Jesus freak. Warning, warning, warning. I mean, I've been called worse. Haven't you? Think about this. Evangelism is an ordinary rhythm of life. It's an ordinary rhythm as you minister to that coworker at the office. It's an ordinary rhythm when you begin having conversations with the parents who are on your child's, uh, their kids are on your child's ball team. It's the ordinary rhythm as you counsel with a family member. It's the ordinary rhythm of talking about the gospel, parenting with a, with a group of ladies. <laughs> it's an ordinary rhythm if you go to CrossFit, Right? Knock out that next wad, set your new PR on the next AMRAP, get what I'm saying, right? The people that you're there with, people that you're working out with, I mean, it's, it's people all over. All over. It's just ordinary. See, we think it's extraordinary to be a, a disciple and a fragrance, but no, it's ordinary for the follower of Christ. It's what you do. It's, it's who we are. It's an overflow from what is being poured into you as you walk daily in Christ. In fact, evangelism should be wonderfully ordinary. And that should be encouraging to you because here's what that means. Let me just give some practical advice here is that you're going to have certain days when you're not a good witness. You're not. There are certain days when you don't need to have conversations with people because you need to work on yourself before the Lord. Your mind's not in the right place. You have anger bowling over. I mean, there are just moments in the flesh where you need to go meet with the Lord. And there are certain days when you seem like the greatest disciple out there, where you've had great conversations. And here's what you say. Why don't I speak about Jesus every day? Why, why isn't every day like this, having gospel conversations and people following Jesus? I should be doing this every day. And then you go about it the next day with different results. Why? Because it's ordinary. It's not going to produce the same results every day. Every time you invite somebody, they're not always going to accept. Anytime you want to pray for somebody, there may be some people who say, don't pray for me. You try to witness to that family member, and you know what? Again and again and again, you've tried to reach out to them, and they want to have nothing to do with you. But you know what? It's ordinary. You, you pray for them. You minister to them. You minister to the people you work with. You set a good testimony for them. It's not... It is, let me be careful with this. It is about your words when it comes to the gospel, okay? We're not gonna go there if necessary, use words. That's baloney, Greek word, take it, all right? But it is using words. But your actions must meet these words. And understand this, as one pastor pointed out, evangelism, evangelism is not all about our story, it's God's story. 
may they hear less about us and more about the Savior. Less about us and more about the Savior. May we be a church that is committed not only to reaching the lost, but also making disciples of the found. You get that? If you have been found in Christ Jesus, it is our responsibility to come alongside you and to train you and to equip you. May that be just as heavy on our hearts. Why? Because that's, that's good ministry. That's faithful disciple making, which goes and makes other disciples. We can't skip that. It's not all about just getting saved and baptized and sitting on a pew. It's what far too many people have done for far too long. It's good, solid discipleship. That's what we should be about. And with this in mind, may we never be ashamed of the good news that our God reigns, is merciful, and delights to save sinners. There it is. God reigns. He has always reigned. He has not lost this position of authority. He is merciful in saving sinners. And we need to go tell people that they need to be saved of their sins. We need to preach the gospel often. And so we need to wake up, we need to look up, and we need to stand up right now with no time to waste. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ today? If you're not sure of that answer, before you leave out of this room, will you just know that I would love to have a conversation with you further? And, and here's what I would tell you. Look to Jesus. Do you smell the sweet fragrance today, what Christ has done for you? He has died on the cross and shed his blood so that you could be forgiven of your sins. No one else can do that for you. Trust in Jesus. He brings you into a right relationship with God. You know the greatest thing about salvation is that you have a relationship with the one who made you. And right now, apart from Christ, you don't have that. Look to Jesus today. I'll be standing right up here. And in a moment, we're going to pray. And you come on up here. I'd love to talk with you. But to the church, I challenge you to wake up look up and stand up. Where can you receive this help? Let me, let me just give you this because this, I want to challenge you in these things. Be a part of a community group. Be a part of a community group. If you're not faithfully a part of a community group right now, you are going to struggle in these areas. I'm convinced of it. I myself, I'm a part of a community group in the evening time. So nine o'clock in the morning, we have community groups. Others prefer what do you call it? Sunday school, right? Okay. And so you come at nine o'clock and you study the word. I really don't care what you call it. As long as you study the word. Study the word. And in, in the evening times, five, six o'clock, we come around the word. I invite you to come. If you're sitting there and you've said, but I am the exception, you don't understand how busy my life is, how everything, look, I get all those excuses. I'm fully convinced that if you don't enter into a smaller group and live life with people, you're gonna keep pushing this off. You're gonna keep pushing this off and keep pushing this off. So I'll say this with love, be a part of a community group. I, 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 gave, I, did, boy, I gave a jab earlier about Wednesday nights and maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind. That does happen at times. But listen, let me tell you something. I believe in the Wednesday nights that we do. And I'm gonna be passionate about this just for a moment. I know 
that you probably look at this and go, oh, you study doctrine. I'm good on doctrine. Are you? Are you? Are you good on those things? Can you go have these conversations in full confidence? Can you have these conversations? We meet on Wednesday nights so that we can gather together and we can grow. Here's what we're going to do on Wednesday nights this fall. We're going to study the Baptist faith, the message of 2000. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You say, no, I'd rather watch America's Got Talent. All right, all you're going to see is some guys with some neon lights. I mean, they've done that. All right, let me tell you. We're going to study the Baptist faith, the message of 2000, because I believe it's important for us as a local church to understand why we call ourselves Baptists. And I'm going to tell you, I will always refer to myself as a Christian first and foremost before I refer to myself as a Baptist. Okay? I'm not ashamed about that. There may be others who get that reversed. I don't think we're ever to get that reversed. And whatever other terminology you want to use in theology, understand that. It's Christ first. Christ follower. But we study, why are we Baptists? And that's important that you know what it even means to be of the Baptist denomination. And so I want to invite you to come. If you're not working with students, if you're not working with children, and I do get that some of you work jobs and the hours do not work. I understand that. This is not a guilt trip. That's not my motive in my heart right now. Lord, I'm putting that before you. Okay, here's the deal. Come and let us talk about these things. Ask good questions. Let us grow together in this fragrance of Christ. And by yourselves, on your own, be a faithful student of the word. Take the Bible and read it daily, even on the days you don't feel like it. Read through books. Come asking questions that you don't understand. Let us be faithful students of the word and have gospel conversations. And begin having gospel conversations with your family members. With your family members. Because they're the ones we can forget about often. But have gospel conversations and pray in all these things. Pray that we will wake up, look up, and stand up. I've, I've, I've heard it. There's excitement boiling over in conversations. Oh, we are so excited. Listen, the excitement will dwindle quickly if we're not faithful in these things. I want you to be excited. I am excited. I want to see more people follow Christ Jesus. And you know what's going to happen? More people are going to be sent out around the world in a beautiful testimony like this. This morning we got a text by Mike Root right now serving in our military who is in Pakistan. And he said, I want you to pray right now because there is a pastor from India and there's a pastor from Pakistan. And these two areas are hostile towards one another, but these two men have been united in the gospel. And you know what Mike's been doing over the last few days? He's been passing out Bibles in a place where that's not well accepted. So I imagine if we can have such a sweet fragrance in Pakistan, we can have a sweet fragrance in Valdosta, Georgia. Let us pray on these things. I hope this weighs heavily on you, but I hope what this does is stir up within you an excitement to go and be the sweet fragrance of Christ in this community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And Lord, as we come to our time of singing, Lord, we're not finished with our worship. And I pray that you deal with what's on our hearts. God, that you penetrate our hearts. 
and stir up this sweet fragrance. We know that as Christ followers, we haven't always been in a position to be sweet. But now that we are in Christ Jesus, we have been given the call to go and spread this fragrance right here where we live. Lord, may we be faithful in this. I ask, Lord, that you move powerfully among us right now. May we not just hear this and put it off, but Lord, will you truly deal with hearts? I trust that you will do so. And may we penetrate this culture with the light of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.